Our first witnesses, our first panel today is Mr. Christopher J. Bavese, Executive Director of the Office of Navajo and Hopi Indian Relocation. He's accompanied by Mr. Paul Tesler. Mr. Tesler, would you like to come to uh, the table? Mr. Paul Tesler is the legal counsel of the Office of Navajo and Hopi Indian Relocation in Flagstaff, Arizona. And Mr. William P. Ragsdale, who's the director of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, U.S. Department of Interior. Uh, I think it would be appropriate to begin with you, Mr. Ragsdale. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, first of all, I want to say that, that I appreciate the opportunity to appear here before the committee. I appreciate the committee's concern. And I want to pledge that we will work with this committee, Navajo Hopi Relocation Commission, Navajo and Hopi Tribes, to transition the activities required by the Act and the proposed amendments. Mr. Chairman, if it's all right with you, I would like to just summarize my views and then answer any questions the committee may have. I would request that my written testimony be included in the record. Without objection, all the written testimony will be made part of the record by all witnesses. Again, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Inouye, for being here. I've appeared before this committee before in my younger years, both as a tribal official and as a BIA official. Good to see you again. Yesterday, I met with the Navajo Relocation Commission, and I think we had a very productive meeting. We talked about transitioning uh, the activities of the commission, particularly the land management responsibility that the Bureau of Indian Affairs traditionally has on Indian lands throughout the country, and I think that we will be working closely together to, to make that transition by the time, if not before, the, the uh, term of the Relocation Commission expires. Uh, we have a concerns addressed in my, test, my formal testimony about any remaining duties that would be required to relocate individual Indians and families and the determinations of their eligibilities if that is not completed by the, by the term of the commission. However, the commission has told me that they expect those activities to be closed and completed before their term expires. In addition to that, we would like to work with the committee and the, and the commission to, to carry out the transition plans. The only other concern that we, that we would have is the personnel provisions that I think that we can work out with the committee that uh, have been brought to our attention. With that, that will end my, my testimony, Mr. Chairman, and I'll be glad to answer your questions. Thank you. Uh, could I, as part of your opening statement, do you believe that this legislation is now necessary? If it is necessary to complete the work of the commission to, to, in finality, yes, sir, I did. Thank you very much. Mr. Bavese, again, I want to thank you for the outstanding work you and the commission have performed over a many-year period. Please proceed. Thank you, Senator. Um, <clears throat> I do have a written statement that I will submit for the record, but I just want to give you the first uh, couple of paragraphs here. Uh, actually, in early uh, June of this year, I and my staff met with the members of the, com of the committee staff in Flagstaff, Arizona, for the purpose of giving comments on the original draft of S-1003. Um, the, the office is in agreement with the legislation's projected date for completion of relocation and transfer of any remaining functions to a newly created office of relocation within the Department of Interior. Um, I just want to make it clear that uh, we believe that we can accomplish our um, we can finish the relocation project 
and be prepared to turn over the land management program to uh, BIA uh, in the time frame that you have submitted in your pending legislation. And with that, I will submit the rest for the record. Maybe uh, for the record, it might be helpful, Mr. Bavese, to describe to the uh, committee for the record some of the difficult. If, if I went to uh, the Phoenix Rotary Club today and said, you know, we passed a law in 1974 that was supposed to cost $40 million and take uh, uh, maybe 10 to 12 years, and it's ended up costing half a billion dollars and has gone on for 31 uh, years, uh, how, 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 would you, how would you describe this saga? First of all, it's a lesson that Congress probably shouldn't pass laws dictating relocation. Is that is that the first lesson? Probably. Um, but I do it carefully. I, I wouldn't want to blame this on anyone, but I would merely point out that uh, in 1980, well, let me back up. I think the record would show that when this was originally contemplated, that the notion was that there would be maybe 1,000 or 1,100 families that needed to be moved. Uh, and the deadline of uh, 1985, then 86, came about because uh, the law required the, the office to do a plan, submit a plan, have a plan approved, and then five years later, the project was supposed to be done. Uh, that was 1985, and then because of some legal issues, it became 1986. So July 7, 1986, this project was supposed to be done, and originally it had been uh, contemplated there'd be 1,100 families, or 1,000 or 1,100 families to be moved. Well, interestingly enough, in 1986, 1,100 families had been moved. However, because for a whole variety of reasons, uh, ultimately 3,600 families had, be, had been certified, or ultimately been certified. So that's certainly one reason that it has taken this long. Uh, another reason, I think, is that this has been um, purported to be something less than a um, voluntary program, but in fact it has always been operated as a voluntary program. So some folks didn't have see the urgency to move through the program uh, perhaps as quickly as uh, they would otherwise. Um, so no one has ever been forced off of their land? No, sir. Never happened. And I will visit with you later if I'm able to about uh, how we think we can come to a conclusion so no one will ever be forced off the land. Uh, so I think those two issues uh, would be one reason we are where we are today. Okay. What, what, how would you account for gross miscalculation of cost from a $40 million original cost to half a billion dollar actual cost? I'm, I'm not sure I can because I don't know what the theory was or what the thought process was you know, 30 years ago that would cost $40 million. We believe, and I think we can show that we've been fairly frugal in terms of the exp expenditure of money. We are able to, even today, in today's housing market, we're able to build a home uh, in slightly over $100,000 in, in, in 2004, it'll be slightly higher this coming year. And I think Mr. Tesler might testify that there's been a huge, huge amount of cost, legal costs associated with this issue. Is that right, Mr. Tesler? That is correct. You, could you estimate out of this half a billion dollars how much has just been, has just been expended in, in uh, continuous court battles. I think there's been continuous court battles from the day that this bill was passed. Yes, there have. I, I, I know we provided the figure to your staff. I don't have yeah. it in front of me. But all through this process, uh, the relocatees, if they have been denied eligibility for benefits, have been entitled to 
administrative hearings, and the Navajo Nation has provided a legal services program to represent them all through that process, which involved not only the administrative stage, but also appeals to the U.S. District Court, which has generated much expense. In all due respect to our friends in the legal profession, this has been quite a windfall for them. Yes, it has. We can get you that number for the record, Senator. Would you please, for the record, give us an estimate of the legal costs associated with this? Because I think it's really been horrendous. And again, maybe with the benefit of a 31-year hindsight, maybe we should have never passed the law to start with. Now, Mr. Bevesi, using your expertise, what do you think we ought to do about the Bennett Freeh situation, which we all know was turned into, with all good intentions, into a deplorable economic disaster area? Senator, I don't think there's any easy answer to it, but as you suggest, it is a deplorable, awful situation. And I think if we all work together, the Navajos, the Hopis, and Congress, the federal government, we can come to some conclusion on how that area can be rehabilitated. Which I think Congress, by the way, would be more than willing to provide funds for. But first, we have to have a resolution. What if we passed a law tomorrow that said Bennett Freeh is lifted? What would happen then? Number one, I don't think that would be wise. I think that we should all work together to come to some conclusion. Well, it wouldn't be wise because what would happen? Chaos might be an appropriate term. I don't have any idea what would happen. But I don't think it would be good because everyone would be scrambling to get the upper hand, and I don't think that's the proper way to handle it. But negotiations between the tribes for 31 years have not succeeded. I'm not sure we've tried that hard. I'm not sure we've tried that hard on the Bennett Freeh issue. I could be completely wrong. I'm not involved in that, but I suspect that we can come to some conclusions. Frankly, using the relocation as a benchmark of perhaps what not to do going in. Senator Nolan? As I've indicated earlier, I'm very optimistic because I recall the first meeting that this committee held, during which time the chairman of the Hopi and the chairman of the Navajo sat at the same table. And that had never happened before. And today I note that for over three years, I believe, negotiators and the leaders of both tribes have been looking into the access to sacred sites in each other's camps. Now, if we can go that far, I'm certain all of these matters can be resolved. And I share the chairman's optimism and his directness that this be resolved. And I'm with him. Senator, may I add that I hope I didn't leave the wrong impression. There is no relocation on the Bennett Freeh. Yeah, but the Bennett Freeh continues to be a source of major friction between tribes and the deplorable economic conditions that exist are just, you know, it's an outrage that any citizen of the United States should live in the conditions that exist on the Bennett Freeh. And that was created by the federal government. Is that an inaccurate statement? No, it's not. Mr. Ragsdale, do you have any comment on that? No, sir. No, sir. I think it would have to be addressed in separate legislation. Mr. Kessler. No, sir. 
guys are surprisingly reticent. Well, but we are not a party to that suit, nor, yeah. nor have we been. No, but you are very familiar with the impact that yes. Bennett Freeze has had on this whole issue. That part of the reservation has fallen behind even the former joint use area that we're dealing with now in terms of development and lack of infrastructure. I do believe it is very close to resolution. I believe the tribes are considering a compact which which may resolve it any time now. Good. Mr. Chairman, the freeze, Go ahead. freeze was put in place uh, in 1964, 1965, about the time I graduated from high school, when I learned the other day when I was being briefed on the matter that the freeze uh, uh, was essentially still the status quo. I was I was somewhat surprised. It was a, as I as I remember history, it was put in as a temporary measure that would be an incentive to not have one tribe take advantage over the other uh, in while the dispute was going to be resolved within a short period of time. And here we are, 50 years later, whatever, 40 some years. Later, I, I, again, I, I re go back, Senator Noway. I think that Congress ought to be more careful about, and administrations ought to be more careful, as we all know, as an executive order, the Bennett Freeze, as to how we interfere in these disputes, because sometimes the, the laws of unintended consequences uh, prevail in, a, in an incredible uh, fashion. Um, well, one other issue I had for you, uh, Mr. Bavese, um Construction and maintenance problems with relocation housing. How severe are that are they? Construction and maintenance problems. Yeah. Uh, construction problems are not a, are are minimal. We have uh, either purchased or constructed over 3,400 uh, houses. Um, we we have a program uh, on the new lands. It's an area in Sanders, uh, about 350,000 acres. There's almost 400 homes there. 397 homes. Uh, we have a very small portion that um, originally was started by a BIA. A number of years ago, um, uh, one of the previous, it wasn't called director then, uh, assistant secretary, assistant secretary then um, uh, had uh, about $25 million to build houses, decided that BIA wanted to do it themselves. To make a long story short, there was some uh, land, um, earth problems. Uh, the houses were begun to be built there, 12 or 13, and then the program came back to us. We finished the houses. To make a long story short, there's 36 houses there. Uh, about uh, 12 of them have had some foundation problems. We are now going in evaluating all of that, and if uh, and we will fix whatever needs to be fixed. But the point I'm making is that besides those, there are very few houses, uh, not, not none, but very few houses over the course of these years that have needed to be fixed because of latent defects in the construction. Maintenance is an entirely different story. Um, we expect our clients to take care of the house as anybody else would. So we frequently get complaints about um, uh, shingles off the roof, uh, broken windows, those kinds of things. Um. Mr. Ragsdale, finally, the reason why the Office of Navajo and Hopi Indian Relocation was created originally was because of the belief that the Bureau of Indian Affairs could not handle it. Now we're going to, I guess, turn over a few loose ends to you, uh, hopefully a minimum, but I, I hope that you will give this issue 
the attention it deserves as we complete this, in my view, unhappy chapter in many ways uh, in American governmental relations with Native Americans. So I hope that I can get a commitment from you that you will place this as a very high priority, whatever responsibilities may remain, including actively involved in how we can get the Bennett freeze lifted uh, and be equitable to all parties. I will place that, Senator. Thank you very much. And again, Mr. Bavese, I know you've been uh, involved in this issue for a very long time, and I have heard nothing but praise from Navajo and Hopi alike, and you have uh, been involved in some very incredibly traumatic issues for some families who have had to move off of land that they occupied for centuries, and I thank you for the job that you and the Commission have done. Thank you, Senator. It's very kind of you. Thanks very much. Mr. Chairman, yes, if, I, if I may say, just express one reservation that is included in my formal testimony, that, that our optimism, and I am optimistic that we will be able to effect an orderly transition and can work with the, the Commission, but we do have reservations if the activities are not concluded with respect to the relocation of individuals. The Bureau of Indian Affairs is very reluctant, Department of Interior is very reluctant to be engaged in the movement and responsible for the relocation of, of individuals from these lands, which was one of the purposes of this act initially, to put somebody neutral in charge of that activity. I understand that. Uh, but again, it's been 31 years. People have grown old. I thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.